Hello everyone and welcome to the Alta Santis webinars and podcast channel. Today in our consultant series where globally recognized consultants discuss how they are addressing some of the most pressing drug development topics, we are excited to welcome our special guest, Dr. Brian Short. Dr. Short is the president of Brian Short Consulting LLC, a toxicologist and a board certified veterinary pathologist with over 25 years of experience in non-clinical ocular drug development of small molecules and biologicals, and uh, more recently gene and cell therapies. Uh, Dr. Short has contributed to the successful development of numerous uh, approved ocular drugs in his position as a senior director of toxicology and then pathology in his 17 years career with Allergan. Uh, as an independent consultant for the past seven years, he has consulted for over 100 ocular projects and interacts regularly with FDA ophthalmology division on behalf of sponsors company. He has recently served as counselor for roundtable of toxicology consultants and is a member of STP's Special Sense International Harmonization of Nomenclature and Diagnostic Criteria for No Rodents. Dr. Short is a leader in the ocular industry space, and he will share some insights about ophthalmic toxicology and the challenges and opportunity in non-clinical ocular development. Brian, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your ophthalmic toxicology expertise. Would you mind telling our audience how you got into drug development? Sure, Norbert. Uh, first of all, I just want to thank you and Simone and the rest of the Alta Science group for in inviting me to uh, talk about this subject because I'm very passionate about. Um, as far as uh, how I got into drug development, um, my research background uh, was in environmental toxicology, carcinogenesis. Um, this was after I was a, a veterinarian uh, with a background in uh, pathology. And um, <clears throat> I studied um, the kidney actually first, off to you, globin nephropathy and renal carcinogenesis. I was a postdoc at the Chemical Industry Institute of Toxicology in Research Triangle Park, Carolina. And I was there doing this concurrently with my graduate studies at University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Uh, I was interested in pharmacology um, and I went to a uh, large pharmaceutical company uh, after I graduated my PhD, uh, SmithKline Beckman at the time and King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. It became SmithKline Beecham and then it became GSK uh, shortly after I left uh, 10 years after being there. Um, it seemed like a great place. It was a good fit for pathologists. They were also we also considered toxicologists and not just slide readers. Uh, we had some study directing experience. I was involved as a project representative, everything from short-term uh, talk studies to safety, and there were safety pharmacology, reproductive and developmental studies, and carcinogenesis studies all done in-house. So that was a great experience. But then after 10 years, I decided to uh, step up and take a leadership role, and I I was recruited to go to Allergan in Irvine, Southern California. Now I had very little prior interest or experience in, in the eye uh, other than broad training as a pathologist. So this was a steep learning curve for me uh, with ocular drugs. Uh, there were also dermal drugs at Allergan and a uh, 
a, at that time, a not so well-known drug, neurologic drug that Adergan had, which was actually a, for injecting around the eye uh, called Botox. And uh, uh, we all know the Botox success story after that, but we worked a lot of medical therapies uh, there at Adergan, such as urinary incontinence and other systemic or peripheral nervous system diseases, which required animal models for safety. Uh, for ocular uh, experience, I was surrounded by many capable scientists and technicians with extensive ocular drug uh, development experience and running ocular studies. Great, Brian. So my next question would be, what would you say are maybe the three most important things to know when developing an ocular toxicology study? That's a very good question. Um, uh, because sometimes uh, companies that come to me haven't thought about uh, some of these things uh, before they want to get uh, ready to do toxicology studies. Uh, but the first thing um, I would ask them, that, you know, based on what they're trying to develop this molecule, uh, is it reformulation of a previously approved drug, either approved by the ocular route or a systemic route? or is what we call a new chemical or biologic entity uh, that really hasn't been into people before. Um, and there's different categories, as we know, of drugs as well. We have you know, small molecules uh, and biotherapeutics, and then we have uh, peptides. And I consider a peptide a small molecule if it's less than 40 amino acids long or if it's greater than 40 amino acids, it's considered a biotherapeutic. This is a, a recent FDA uh, classification. Or is it a oligonucleotide, uh, which in some senses is considered a small molecule with potential off-target effects, or, or also is considered a biotherapeutic because it can be immunogenic. Um, and then of course there's other categories such as gene and cell therapy. So that's, you know, the first question, just to try to understand what is the molecule and what is regulatory history. And the second is um, what's known about the formulation, uh, because there has to be some formulation development. We don't want to be uh, using formulations that are going to change a lot before we get to the clinic. And that can take some work to know if the formulation is viable uh, to test. And then what do we know about um, ocular, what I call pharmacodynamics or pharmacokinetics of the molecule. It's very important to know um, what the scientists in the company think, how long will this molecule be biologically active in the eye, or what is the duration of the drug in the eye? You know, how long does that last uh, is very important. And then the last is, um, what about the clinical plan? You know, is there a, uh, a target you know, product profile for this drug where they know what is the intended dose regimen? Uh, what would be the concentration range they would want to get to the eye? What will be the volume they want to administer? And how often do they want to get it? Because all the toxicology studies really need to closely mimic uh, what the clinical dose regimen will be. So that's my answer of the three uh, most important things to know when you're developing an ocular toxicology study. How important is it, in your opinion, 
as a consultant to be familiar with all the procedures involved in the study design? Well, it, it does, it helps to be informed uh, on what are the appropriate study procedures, you know, based on the route of injection or administration and the type of the molecule, as I discussed previously. Um, the con a person doesn't have to be you know, intimately familiar with everything uh, because uh, Alta Sciences has experts, uh, such as people like Simone that know a lot about a lot of the specialized procedures that happen with ocular toxicology studies. Um, but I think, as we know, the, the sponsors need to, uh, you know, ask Alta Sciences, you know, what kind of a study they think they need to run. And I think it's really best practice for uh, a consultant and the sponsor to work together and provide a short one to two page protocol outline uh, for each study, you know, with a short objective, what the rationale is for the dose selection and a study design table. Um, and then a table of what I call parameters of everything that the company would like Alta Sciences to look at and how often they would like to evaluate these parameters. I think that's the first step into, for the company to understand what do they think uh, is, would be a good idea. And then and go to Alta Sciences and uh, I think ideally have a, a talk with them and with the scientists that you have on staff, uh, such as your study directors and Simone to see if they're all on the same wavelength about what would be, uh, you know, what be uh, a good, good parameters to look for. It can be very different uh, from a dose range study to a GLP study about what is, what would be needed. Um, so I would say it's, it's important to be really familiar with the standard ocular examination techniques uh, used in ocular tox studies, including there's an ocular observations, which is the DRAZE technique, uh, which has a scoring very well known over decades. It's usually conducted by technicians. There's, of course, the ophthalmic examination, which is usually a slip lamp by microscopy, indirect fundoscopy, um, and for most studies by a board certified uh, veterinary ophthalmologist such as Simone. Um, and then there's other more specialized techniques, as I said, depending on the type of molecule, the route of administration. And, but I don't feel everyone has to be intimately familiar with all these techniques. Uh, that's why, you know, the experts are there in Calvert to execute these and also give advice on, you know, what techniques are needed. But I'll go over some of these techniques. Um, uh, pachymetry, which is for corneal thickness, that's usually for a topical ocular study. Specular microscopy is for evaluate the corneal endothelial cells. There's gonioscopy, which looks at the angle of the anterior chamber, or you could look at anterior segment optical coherence tomography, known as OCT. And that would be if you're putting an implant in drug into the anterior chamber, uh, which is called the intracameral space. Then there's another category of more for evaluating the back of the eye, things like electroretinography, fundus photography, uh, flour fluorescein angiography, uh, posterior segment OCT, and another technique called confocal scanning laser ophthalmoscopy, S 
SLO, CSLO. Uh, these are mainly for intraocular studies, most common intravitreal, but also subretinal or suprachoroidal routes. As I mentioned, the resident ophthalmologist, Simone, has a good working knowledge of these specialized procedures and can help determine which of these would be good to include based on the study objectives. So the next question would be, what would you recommend to our audience to anticipate the different challenges faced when choosing the right animal model for an ocular toxicology study? Oh, that is a very good question. Um, and it you know, deserves uh, a lot of consideration and thought, um, especially in this day and age uh, with the three R's of trying to use the right species and, and reduce and refine the species that we use. And um, it does get back to the earlier question and my response to that the right animal model depends on determining if the drug is a reformulation of a previously approved drug or is it a new chemical or biological entity? Or is it perhaps maybe a gene or cell therapy product? And, and also what is the route of the delivery? Now I'm gonna kind of go in sort of a stepwise approach and just give you some of my thoughts when you know, thinking about some of the animals you know, based on some of these categories. I'm gonna try to go from probably the most simplest to the most complex. And you know, the simplest would be for a small molecule, a reformulation of a previously approved ocular drug, and what's known in FDA as a 505B2. Generally, rabbits are sufficient as a standalone species by any route of administration. Um, the next level of difficulty would be a small molecule reformulation of a previously approved systemic drug, also a 505B2. Now, so that means that the drug has been approved systemically, but has not been approved by the ocular route. So in this case, generally uh, my experience is at the FDA expects to see two ocular species, uh, usually including rabbits as sort of the default species. However, uh, sometimes rabbits can maybe uh, the only species uh, that you do an ocular toxicity study with this situation. And, um, and it, it, it can be adequate as a standalone species if you can show that the previous systemic route studies uh, had higher ocular exposure than by given by this ocular route. So uh, what a, a company would do is that they would do what I call an ocular and systemic route uh, PK bridging study or you'd give both routes to that animal who had already had a extensive systemic study. And you'd look at the eye uh, by both routes and answer the question, you know, is there higher ocular exposure from the systemic route? And sometimes there is because the route, the doses that we give to systemically can be large and they can get into the eye. Whereas the doses that we give to the eye are really generally small. The next topic I'd like to go to here about uh, species considerations is what are the second species non-rodents uh, for small molecules if we do have to pick a second species. And for, this is mainly I'm covering right now small molecules and the first order is that 
or the first recommendations that monkeys should not be used for small molecule drug development. And this has been a recent guidance that the FDA issued earlier this year. Um, this was due to the pandemic um, and the reduction in supply of primates and the increased uh, urgency for their use in some COVID uh, research and development activities. So a, uh, another species uh, should be used instead of a monkey uh, for small molecules, even though we all recognize that monkeys' eyes are uh, more similar to humans than some of the other species, but the other species are acceptable. Um, dogs, for example, they are considered adequate you know, for topical ocular. Uh, their intracameral studies, their angle in the eye is most like human than other species. Also, they've been used for intravitreal studies as well. They, all the uh, triamcinolone um, um, corticosteroids were developed in dogs with intravitreal studies. Uh, many pigs are becoming used more and more, and they also considered adequate. Uh, they're mainly adequate for intraocular studies, uh, intravitreal studies, subretinal studies. Uh, they could be a little more difficult for topical ocular. Uh, just to do some of the uh, manipulation with eye drops several times a day in a, uh, in a large animal. Um, then the next category I want to talk about is for novel small molecules, small peptides, oligonucleotides, and also biotherapeutics. So these are new chemical or biologic entities known as a 505B1. So for this, the FDA usually uh, would like to see two species for ocular toxicology studies. They're generally expected uh, as long as they're pharmacologically relevant for the biotherapeutic. They don't have to be pharmacologically relevant for the small molecule. Um, now, rabbits can be used um, even if they're not pharmacologically relevant. They can be used for dose range studies for the single dose uh, of any route. Um, and they can be used for GLP studies that they're pharmacologically relevant. And if immunogenicity is not an issue, uh, we know sometimes uh, rabbits, when they're injected with a biotherapeutic uh, several times, they will mount a strong immune response, which may prevent them being considered uh, an adequate species. Um, monkeys uh, are usually pharmacologically relevant, and therefore they are justified in most cases for biotherapeutics and some gene therapies, uh, but not usually cell therapies. Uh, but I think everyone now in this day and age is always looking to see, uh, well, yes, we can use a monkey, but what are the other reasons why we can't use, say, mini pigs or dogs? Um, and even I think the agency is looking for uh, companies to explore either on an in vitro basis, uh, you know, genetic homology, uh, gene amino acid homology, if many pigs and dogs are also relevant and could be considered as alternative species. And they can be, as I said before, they can be considered for intravitreal, subretinal, biotherapeutics, biotherapeutics, gene cell therapies, uh, you know, based on pharmacological relevance. So that's pretty much in a nutshell, uh, all the different species and some of the considerations that we have to give to all of them. With, with your experience working in the industry, what are the top three things you look for in a preclinical contrast research organization 
and or our contracts drug manufacturing organization partners? Oh, well, first I want to talk about the, uh, uh, the contract uh, manufacturing uh, partners. Uh, uh, I, I personally uh, don't have a lot of direct experience in the role in the manufacturing groups, uh, you know, as a, from a consultant, uh, but I certainly indirectly interact with the contract manufacturing uh, companies through the, usually a consultant who is uh, familiar or an expert in, in this area of formulations. Um, I think there are important things um, from my perspective, you know, for an author drug uh, contract manufacturing and to make sure that they understand what, what are some of the limits uh, that are necessary, especially for injecting the drug into the eye uh, for the impurities. Um, things like endotoxins, host cell proteins, um, the eye is generally more sensitive than giving the same drug uh, by a parental route. So uh, the company needs to know that some of the uh, specifications need to be lower. And there are certain acceptable uh, limits there that I usually weigh in on uh, when the uh, contract manufacturing uh, group is uh, you know, developing their formulation. But with most of my experience with the contract, uh, research organizations, the test facility. Um, so the top three things would be, um, you know, what level of experience does the contract lab have in conducting ocular talk studies? Um, if I'm not familiar with the contract lab, um, I will generally ask for like a summary, I think the past three years of, you know, how many ocular toxicity studies have been conducted uh, what's been the species, the route, uh, the study duration, and the GLP status. Uh, so that's the first thing. Um, the second thing that's important to me is, um, you know, who is conducting the ophthalmic examinations? Um, uh, are they a resident ophthalmologist? Um, are they, you know, nearby and come in on a contractual basis, you know, based on the testing schedule? And what specialized procedures are they capable of conducting? Do they have the equipment? Do they have the experience to conduct some of these uh, procedures that we talked about earlier today? Um, fortunately, Simone uh, at Alta Sciences uh, here in Scranton, Pennsylvania is a resident ophthalmologist, uh, which is real plus for that facility. And then the last thing is would be to me is that who conducts um, the pathology evaluation? Uh, is it in-house uh, or a contract pathology CRO? And what experience do they have with ocular pathology? I mean, both are good, but I, I like to know um, who are the people, you know, what is their CV? Uh, do they have any experience uh, in this area? Um, I would want to say that uh, there's been some recent activity with ocular pathology. Uh, the FDA uh, three or four years ago was actually asking for uh, serial sections of the, um, our, the centralis uh, of the retina in different species or the macula. And I think we went through with the Society of Toxicology Pathologists and put out a publication to standardize the approach to ocular pathology, which is now usually you know, three to five sections, step sections, 
through the eye to make sure that we're looking at all those structures and getting an adequate evaluation of the eye for ocular toxicology studies. And uh, I think most of the laboratories now are familiar with some of these uh, more specialized uh, histology techniques that are not usually done for other types of other route studies outside of the eye. Um, I do know that Alta Sciences contracts with uh, Stage Bio, a large uh, CRO, and they do have expertise in ocular histology and pathologists there who are uh, expert in ocular histopathology. And that are the three uh, top things that I look for in uh, CRO partners. Uh, thank you, Brian. These are very great answers. So to conclude the interview, I would like to ask our three question feature for you. So the first one would be, what do you like to do outside work? Well, um, I usually like to be active for uh, one to two hours in the morning. Um, where I live here in Laguna Beach, I'm surrounded by nature and scenic views. I live about two miles from the coast up at the top of a ridge, about a thousand feet above sea level, um, in a house that overlooks uh, not the ocean, but a regional park uh, behind the ridge. And it's a canyon. There's a lot of hiking and biking trails, uh, community park with tennis and pickleball courts uh, that overlook both the ocean and the Southern California mountains. Um, there's plenty of hilly, neighborhood running routes and a community pool for lap swimming. So I have a lot of recreational choices every day to choose from. Um, the second is, can you tell us something we can learn about you from reading from your resume? Um, the past few years I've gotten um, more involved in ocular uh, gene and cell therapies and I am enjoying learning these new technologies and how to design and interpret studies, uh, biodistribution, um, and also the interchange with the FDA. Uh, there's a different group there that um, regulates uh, this category, or, or the Office of Tissues and Advanced Therapies, otherwise known as OTAP. And so um, it's, it's been a, a really um, just enjoyable, just a new challenge uh, that I can't claim that I have a lot of experience in uh, the last few years, but I'm gaining it and, uh, and enthusiastic about uh, the very promising field and the advances. As we know, you know, the first gene therapy that's been approved has, has been for the eye. Um, so that's exciting to me. Awesome. And uh, finally, can you let the audience know a fun fact about yourself? Um, I enjoy visiting national parks and wineries uh, in the Western US uh, with my spouse, uh, not necessarily in that order, but um, uh, that's the first thing. There's a, a small other thing. I, I have four children, uh, adult children. Uh, they're all between the ages of 29 and 32. Um, so uh, weddings and grandkids are in my near future, although not necessarily in that order. Um, but that's the other fun fact about myself. Well, thank you so much, uh, Brian, for sharing your great expertise, knowledge, experience, and being here with us today. And thank you all for listening. 
be sure to check out our other podcasts, webinars and videos and the Auto Scientist webinars and podcast channel. Thank you so much, Brian, for being part of this podcast and we look forward to more of the same in the future. Thank you for having me, Simone and Norbert.